covering the Green Bay Packers training camp all summer long. This is CampCast, a Midwest Communications podcast. Hi, this is Sports Director Mark Daniels. Welcome to the Green and Gold CampCast, a podcast covering everything associated with the 2018 Green Bay Packers training camp. When the Green Bay Packers step onto Ray Nitschke Field for another training camp practice, every single play, every single personnel grouping is scripted. In fact, head coach Mike McCarthy and his assistants put together that script weeks in advance, so there are no surprises. But what's always surprising to me is to see who's lining up with the first team on offense and defense during team drills as training camp begins, and to see how many of those players are going to be in the starting lineup when the bullets start flying for real September 9th against the Chicago Bears at Lambeau Field. Now on offense, there's going to be a couple of changes because of medical issues. For instance, on the offensive line, right tackle Brian Balaga is starting training camp on the physically unable to perform list after undergoing medial collateral ligament reconstructive surgery late last season. Balaga still hopefully will be ready for opening night, but he won't be able to get onto the practice field until he is medically cleared by team physician Dr. Patrick McKenzie. So Balaga's out of the mix, but he could be back in another couple of weeks. Starting guard Lane Taylor on the left side of the offensive line is being withheld early in camp from team drills. He also had some minor ankle surgery in the offseason, and the Packers are just trying to ease him into a workload, but he's expected to be there in due time. And another guard position is wide open for veteran Jerry Evans, the former New Orleans Saints pro bowler who capably filled in for T.J. Lang in the 2017 season, was not re-signed by the Green Bay Packers. So the offensive line's going to look a little different now. At center, Corey Lindsley is back. In fact, he's the only offensive lineman in Green Bay, and for almost all of the National Football League, for that matter, to play every single offensive snap in the 2017 campaign. But Lindsley is flanked by two new guards for the moment, Justin McCray and Lucas Patrick. Both undrafted free agent players found their way onto the active roster last season, and when injuries started shelving several of the offensive linemen throughout the course of the year, they stepped in both at a couple of different positions and filled in admirably. In fact, McCray may have the inside track at that starting right guard spot when the regular season begins. At right tackle for Belaga is third-year pro Jason Spriggs. He tried a go early last season when there were some injury problems, and it did not go well. But Spriggs, bided his time after a stint on injured reserve himself, came back and played much better. And he could be the prime swing tackle candidate for the Packers on the offensive line when Belaga returns. And over on the left side of tackle, there's the old reliable David Bakhtiari, a two-time All-Pro who's going to man the blind side for Aaron Rodgers once again. In fact, Pro Football Focus tabbed him the best left tackle in the entire game last season. Well, that quarterback, you know it's going to be Aaron Rodgers, and hopefully the collarbones will stay intact all season long this year. At running back, Jamal Williams, who was the leading rusher among the three rookies drafted by the Packers last year, started with the number one unit. And at wide receiver, well, there's Devontae Adams, fresh off his big contract extension last year and high expectations this year. Randall Cobb working in the slot as usual. Packers are hoping for a bounce-back year from Cobb. And at the third wide receiver spot, Geronimo Allison, who could be the favorite 
for even more snaps this year, even though he got 70% of multiple receiver set snaps for the Packers on offense last year, but still has only 34 career catches. And at tight end, another newcomer, Jimmy Graham. Well, he'll be there on opening day. Packers signed the former New Orleans Saint Pro Bowler and Seattle Seahawk to a free agent deal over the summer, and he is expected to make a big impact for this Green Bay Packer offense. There are even more new faces on the defensive side of the ball under new coordinator Mike Pettin, who arrives after taking a couple of years off consulting the Seattle Seahawks defense last year, former head coach of the Cleveland Browns and defensive coordinator for the New York Jets and Buffalo Bills, brought in one of his own, Muhammad Wilkerson, former New York Jet defensive lineman, opened up at defensive end for the Packers on the first team defense this week. Kenny Clark, Manning the inside, coming off a breakout second year in the league. And then there is pro bowler Mike Daniels at the other defensive end. In the first team drills of training camp, Petten went with three linebackers and five defensive backs. The two linebackers you know are Blake Martinez, who led the Packers and was one of the top tacklers in the NFL with 158 stops last year, along with Jake Ryan on the inside. And Kyler Fackrell was taking early camp reps for Clay Matthews, who's bringing himself along slowly with the ankle injury and then the frightening broken nose from that celebrity softball game earlier in June. But Matthews took also a lot of first-team reps as well, and I'm sure we'll see Clay come September 9th. And as for the secondary, there is only one holdover starter for the Green Bay Packers, and that is safety haha Clinton Dix. Coming off a down season, but he is going to be one of the anchors at the back end now that Morgan Burnett is plying his wares with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Taking Burnett's spot in the early camp starting lineup is free agent Kentrell Bryce, a hard hitter with a lot of savvy that the Packers are hoping takes a big jump in year two. And the three cornerbacks on the perimeter and in the slot are two old-time Packers who are back for their second tours of duty. Devon House returns. He's on one corner. And Tremont Williams is back after a three-year absence to help anchor a group of young defensive backs, which includes Kevin King working on the inside slot position for the Packers in their base nickel defense. And that secondary is going to have a lot of competition with their top two draft choices, Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, figuring into the mix. But that's how the Packers lined up to get camp started. We'll see how they line up when the regular season begins in just over a month. He is the elder statesman of the Green Bay Packers, entering his 14th National Football League season. Two-time MVP and a Super Bowl champion, Aaron Rodgers, is the face of the franchise in green and gold. And after the opening practice of training camp, Rodgers met with reporters surrounding him at his locker inside Lambeau Field. And while it took a while to get to the conversation about football, Rodgers was asked often about his contract situation. Even with two years left, it's a hot topic not only in Green Bay, but around the entire NFL. And Aaron also couldn't resist talking about scratching one thing off his bucket list and taking care of one of his greatest fears, jumping into the ocean and going face-to-face -face with a shark. When you're under the water and the sound goes away, and the expert you thought was over your shoulder, uh, ready to help you, is uh, holding a um, GoPro. Um, and you realize this is you and uh, an 11-foot wild predator. Look that I got out. What was the reaction from the coaches when you got in yesterday? About that? Yeah. 
Uh, no, I mean, I think I, I got uh, uh, my profile kind of went up a little bit in the locker room. Guys maybe respect me a little bit more. Um, that's to be expected. Sure. Big shark. What are your feelings about getting getting the deal done before that first game? I don't I don't know if there's a timetable. Um, you know, it's it's uh, the feelings haven't changed. You know, I'd obviously love to be here, and I think uh, they've spoken at length about wanting to um, you know extend my deal. But now that I'm here, you know, my focus uh, is definitely in other places. It's uh, on my teammates, my leadership role, and, and my performance on the field. And that's why I got Dave Dunn to uh, take care of all that stuff. Not really, Rob. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff you guys have either written or that's been written about it. And I talk with my agent daily, so I'm aware of uh, the conversations. But... Um, yeah, I'm really not too worried about it. I'm, you know, just reading the stuff that uh, Mark has said and Brian and Mike have said. You know, I think there's mutual, like I said, there's more than mutual interest on both sides. Aaron, would, would talks halt once the season begins if you table to your offseason period? I mean, I'm not talking with him. Uh, Dave's talking with him, so. Uh, would he halt conversations if the season begins? I mean, I don't know. Uh, that's a that's a big uh, what if, and we still have plenty of time before that. You know, Julio Jones threatened to hold out. He can get a new deal. Was there any thought at all, even for a second, to maybe you know, kind of ratchet up the pressure here on something? I, I just don't. I don't really operate like that. Um, I have two years left on my deal. Uh, they're obviously more than willing to talk about an extension, so uh, there wasn't any animosity on uh, on either side. Is that going to keep these conversations going because you have two left and there's not a lot of extreme pressure on the organization to extend right now? Well, I think they've talked about it enough that there's an expectation that uh, something would have been done. Um, obviously, judging by the questions here, there's kind of an expectation something would have been done before we started. But, uh, yeah, I'm just trusting Dave, and, and uh, that's why he represents me because he has my best interest in mind. And, um, you know, they're taking – Taking care of those conversations, and I'm focused on uh, uh, on this team and being a leader. As a guy who's been there and done that with training camp, what is your goal as you navigate this first week as some of the younger guys get acclimated to what training camp is? What's your goal? Well, it's stuff like today. You know, you have to have uh, some side conversations with guys and pull guys aside and uh, young guys and talk to them about expectations. You know, the, the coaches did a great job yesterday of kind of setting the, the framework uh, uh, all of them talked, you know, the coordinators and Mike about uh, really expectations for the young guys and their play and uh, how to conduct themselves, how to be professional. Um, and it's just reminders, you know. A lot of us just say, watch the, watch the guy in your position group. You know, you watch how Randall Cobb practices, watch how Devontae Adams practices, watch how Geronimo Allison practices, uh, you know, watch how uh, the older tight ends are practicing. That's what it looks like, and that's why those guys have stuck around the league and are getting multiple... Uh, contracts and, and opportunities and accruing a lot of years in this in this league that's just it's tough to stick around in so those guys need reminders today is you know the first two days are introductory days uh, as far as what it looks like when it amps up because I said this in the spring you know it's a different tempo when you get to training camp it'll be a different tempo when we, when we put the pads on so it'll be exciting to see uh, all the uh, competition shake out. He has waited 41 years to put on a sport coat. 
and it's going to be worth the wait for Jerry Kramer. One of the anchors of the Green Bay Packers offensive line in the glory days under Vince Lombardi in the 50s and 60s is finally going to be enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. After his five-year wait to become eligible, Kramer was often mentioned with the likes of the other Packer greats who all went in before him. From Bart Starr to Ray Nitschke to Willie Wood, Willie Davis, Herb Adderley, the list is long, but Kramer bided his time. And then after his first round of eligibility was up, it was up to the NFL Seniors Committee to nominate Kramer. Eleven times he became a finalist over the years, and finally he broke through earning a bust in Canton next week. And to celebrate, the Green Bay Packers created a Jerry Kramer exhibit in their Green Bay Packer Hall of Fame to send the right guard to Ohio and NFL immortality in style. I want to congratulate Jerry on this well-deserved, I would say long-deserved uh, and well-deserved honor. Uh, we're so happy for you, Jerry. Uh, you, uh, you've been a finalist, was it a finalist 11 times? <laughs> And so this is a patient man. As you see, these displays are, are great. And it really is a tribute to Jerry and the incredible 11-year career that he had. Uh, he won five NFL championships, uh, two Super Bowls, um, became one of the most decorated offensive linemen in the history of the NFL. When I was growing up, Jerry, I, I was, watched you. And uh, that was a time when guards didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, but Jerry, I think because of the instant replay and obviously the success uh, of, the, uh, of the Packers, uh, I have this image of the, the po Jerry pulling around, and uh, he really brought a lot of recognition not only to the Packers, but to the game of football and particularly line play. And the nice thing uh, from my perspective, Jerry, is you've stayed actively involved with the organization. Uh, every time we ask you to do something, you're, you're right here. And, uh, and you're beloved by our fans. Um, Jerry and I were talking earlier, a man named Joe Horgan, who's the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he and I were talking and he said, you know, I'm really glad Jerry got in. Oh, I said, yeah, so am I, isn't it great? He deserves it. He said, well, yeah, he deserves it, but uh, my, uh, the number of uh, emails and letters and cards that I get was gonna is gonna drop dramatically because all those Packer fans that have been calling me over the last no, so many different years. On behalf of the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame Incorporated, uh, I want to congratulate Jerry on finally uh, being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The exhibit opening today is a tribute to a man that was not only a great football player, as his career can attest, but he has been an even better ambassador for the Green Bay Packers in the Hall of Fame since his playing days. Well, my daughter Alicia is uh, closely related to her mother and seems to have the same tendencies. So I, she told me she was gonna start a campaign. I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think we need to do that, you know. We get in, fine. If we don't get in, I'm now happy with it. I'm comfortable with it. Well, I'm going to do it. All right, all right, all right. Go ahead and do it. So she was going along a couple years and then a young man named Randy Simon, who was in PR work for the governor, called and said he'd like to help. So they got together for lunch and just he, he suggested that they get Hall of Famers to write letters for us. So they sent out letters and they got about 60 to 65 letters back from Bob Lilly and Staubach and Alex and on, Willie and on and on and on. 
And I think that hardened her resolve. That made her believe even more that I belonged in, so she upped her efforts. And uh, we were talking about Joe Horrigan earlier, and Joe told me that uh, my nomination would reduce his incoming mail by 90%. He said, those Packer fans have questioned my sanity, my heredity, my manhood. They've questioned everything about me. And I'm so happy that you're finally in. And uh, it, it has been a, a, a long wait. And um, actually, you know, I sympathize with Terrell Owens just a little bit because my little emotional boat got a little tippy there uh, along the way a couple times when I anticipated going in and it didn't happen. Got my lip out and I pouted a little bit and I was angry and I was upset and if they call I'm going to tell them where to go and what to do and all this kind of stuff and uh, actually I came to an accommodation with my position. The, the game and the Packer organization and the Packer fans had had such an impact on my life and it was such a positive impact. It was like having a hundred presents and not getting one and letting the one you didn't get spoil the other hundred. And I came to that thought and that idea and said, well, that's not going to happen here because we're very comfortable with the hundred presents. And if we get one more, that's fine. If we don't, that's fine. That's the way life is. So I was pretty comfortable with the, without the uh, nomination. And, I, and again, even this last time, I looked at it as a singular event. This is just another uh, applause, another compliment. And if we get in, fine. If we don't get in, fine. We've, uh, we've established a record for nominations. <laughs> um, I wasn't really uh, aware of this, and so it's a little whelming, and it could be overwhelming just a bit. Uh, pleased to be here. I've been an ardent Packer fan since uh, my retirement days, Mark. I had an event that my last year in Green Bay, I, uh, we were playing Baltimore, and uh, we were about 500, and we needed to win the game to get in the playoffs, and we knew we would. We were down three points in the fourth quarter, and about four and a half minutes to go, and we got the ball, and we had to score. And so we go bing, bang, bing, seven yards, eight yards, six yards, five yards, cross midfield, down to the 30. We're just tearing it up. And we fumble. Look up at the clock. It's a minute 10. It's over. The era is over. We're not going to the playoffs. We're not going to win. We're not going to be there one more time. I start to walk off the field, and I hear a smattering of applause coming from the stands. And I'm going, it's over. Don't you understand? It's over. And uh, as I get closer to the bench, the applause grows and grows. And all of a sudden, people start standing up. This is a fumble, right? So we got about a five-minute standing ovation from the Packer fans. And it was an incredible moment of, uh, for me in history of my game to know that you knew the moment I knew that the era was over and that they were saying thank you for the many championships, the years, the times of 
over the years, so it was a wonderful moment for me, and it gave me a glimpse of the Packer fan, not only the ardent support that we've enjoyed for so many years, but the awareness uh, of the game and understanding of the game and uh, interpretations of the game. So it was a, for me, it was a wonderful moment, and uh, I've had uh, so many great times back here, and over the years, I've had thousands of people, uh, younger people generally, coming up for an autograph. And the story is that we used to go to Grandma and Grandpa's every Sunday. And Grandma would cook a big meal, and we'd go in the living room and watch the Packers. Mom and Dad, all the kids, Grandma and Grandpa, we were all together. And uh, you couldn't walk in front of that TV set. And you couldn't talk either. So I know that you grew up with your family and your friends and your parents and that the Green Bay Packers were <clears throat> mixed in that and part of your family. So it's a, it's a wonderful organization. It's a, a situation that defies description, uh, understanding. Uh, the Packer fan is above fan. It's somewhere else. <laughs> I don't think we have a description yet for the Packer fan, but it's a wonderful, wonderful organization and I am tickled to death to be here. But, you know, I had a bunch of wonderful teammates and a wonderful coach, and uh, every time I got down, they got me back up. And uh, Don Chandler was my roommate the last time that I uh, had such a difficult time. I had nine operations, one off-season, and I went to see the coach. And I said, Coach, he wanted to talk contract. I wanted to talk contract. He didn't want to talk contract. He said, go home. We'll take care of your salary. We'll take care of your hospital bills. Just want you to go home. This was in 65, beginning of this, in the summer before the camp started. And I said, Coach, I can't go home. I got to play. I missed the whole season last year. If I missed another year, I probably will never play again. Well, Jerry, I can't count on it. I want you to go home. Coach, I can't go home. I need to play. I need to get on the field. So we spent 45 minutes going back and forth, him telling me to go home and me telling him I was going to play. And so finally he said, well, I'm going to put you at the defense. I always wanted to play defense anyway. Great. So I got on the field, but in the first, I, I had been down to 189 pounds in the off season with the injuries and the illnesses and the operations. And I got up to about 218 when I reported to camp. And I was a bit thin and drawn and whatnot, but uh, I, we have a tradition there of run, running three laps as soon as we hit the field. And uh, I ran a lap and a half, and my lungs seized up. Oh, oh, I can't breathe. And Don Chandler came over. I said, what's the matter, pal? He said, well, how much did you run? I said, lap and a half. He said, I'll run the other lap and a half. <laughs> so he ran the other lap and a half. And we went over to do calisthenics, and he came over beside me. And he said, Jerry, um, if they do 50 uh, push-ups and you can only do five, I'll do 45. If they do 50 side straddle hops and you can only do 10, then I'll do 40. I'm a kicker, so I don't need to do any of this stuff. But uh, whatever they do, uh, you and I will do together. So Don sat beside me for 
five weeks, every practice, every calisthenic, everything we did. And at the end of five weeks, I was like 235, and I could do all the calisthenics. So he pulled me through that knothole and uh, made the books possible, made the three championships possible, made so much of my career possible because he was my teammate and he treated me like a teammate. And that was part of our mantra as a uh, Packer team, take care of your teammates. You played with broken ribs, you played with thumbs and concussions and detached retinas and all kinds of things. And it wasn't the money and it wasn't really the coach, it was the guys. You play for the guys. And that, uh, that attitude, I think, is a major reason why we were successful during that era. But that's what a, a teammate is all about, and that's what teamwork is all about, is Don Chandler. I have enjoyed uh, speaking uh, to folks, especially young folks, about why we were successful in Green Bay and the Lombardi principles. And I believe they're valid today, Sammy, and I believe they'll be valid a thousand years from now. And they were the simplest things like preparation, commitment, consistency, discipline, pride, character, tenacity, belief in yourself and your team, and th that success or achievement has a price to pay. You can't just walk in and say, the kid is here. You know, you got to prepare yourself for it, and you got to work at it, and there is a price to pay for achievement. And um, I, I didn't know that. I didn't really understand that when I arrived here. and. and Initially, in the early stages of Coach Lombardi's experience here, he was not our best pal. The guys were passing out on the, on the field in the middle of exercises, whoop, and uh, we'd throw some water on them or get them some ice or something and go on, move over. Um, Coach had the wonderful uh, line with Lionel Aldrich. One day, Lionel broke a leg. and. Uh, he was out about eight or nine days, and he's hippity-hopping around the field. He's trying to run, but he's limping and running and limping, and he goes by the, all the guys that are doing calisthenics, and coach says, Aldrich, the bone you broke is not a weight-bearing bone. You don't even need the damn thing. Now run on it. <laughs> and we were very surprised to hear that we had bones in our leg that wasn't weight-bearing bones. <laughs> So he didn't have much uh, sympathy for our conditioning, and so we were very resentful, but he burned us into a team. He burned us into a group, and then he, start, he would lecture to us, like the preparation, and you'd be all sold up and not going to listen and not going to hear this, and then you'd go, well, <clears throat> preparation makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you don't know, you're, if you're not prepared, you're not going to win which was some of the things we did in our Dallas Ice Bowl game. The reason that Sneak was successful was Jethro Pugh made a mistake. He was up in the air. Bob Lilly was about 12 inches off the turf, his nose, and Jethro came up. Big mistake. Bob Hayes made a mistake running down the field with his hands in his pants or running down the field when he was in the pattern with his hands out of his side. Herb Adderley and Wood talked about that and made an interception because of that. So we didn't make mistakes. We didn't do things that were silly. And of course, uh, we had a fellow there that reminded us of that all the time. He was sensational too.
I'm sorry? What advice do I have? Players. Current players. Current players. Uh, well, we're all a little uh, in anticipation now. We kind of uh, wrote the season off last year fairly early and decided that, well, you know, maybe not this year, but next year we'll get them, you know. And so the, the fundamentals uh, continue to be very important. It, it's the preparation, it's the understanding and the, and the knowledge of what your defensive guy is going to do and any tendencies he might have and what his strengths, what his weaknesses are, and, and prepare properly. But there's a, there's a fire that eventually, some way or another, develops in some people naturally. Coach Lombardi developed in other people. He came by after chewing my tail uh, very loudly in a scrimmage. Uh, I felt like I was on my way out of Green Bay. I'm sitting at my locker, pouting, and I'm looking at the floor and the design in the floor and wondering where I was going to spend <clears throat> the rest of my football career. And um, I'm never going to play for this guy. <clears throat> he came up. He'd been out working with Barton wide receivers on pass patterns. So it was about 40 minutes later. I'm still in the locker room. He comes by. Pats me on the head, slaps me, messes up my hair, and said, son, one of these days you're going to be the best guard in football. And that was approval, his approval, and his belief in me. And if I, I had that approval and belief, then I could believe in myself. And the, the difference in our team was the, the burn, the passion, the fire, the drive, the hunger, the will, uh, the intangibles. Those were the things that were the biggest part of our, our game and our team. And you can develop that yourself. I mean, you can, subconscious is non-judgmental. So you, uh, I used to look at my defensive tackle in the um, films early in the week, and I'd get him pretty well pictured. And then about Friday night, I'd start on him, um, killed my dog, raped my wife, he burned my house, he shot some my friends, you know, he was this kind of a human being. And I would get angry. And so the next day, I didn't, it didn't do, it only lasted an hour or two, but next day I'd build it a little more and a little more and a little more. And so when I stepped on the field, I was ready to play. And, and subconscious is going, yeah, let's get him. He son of a gun did this and he did that and he did this. So I played with a great deal of passion and energy and Coach Lombardi's approval. And I think the passion and the energy is in the will to win, the will to excel. These are the things that endure. It's a rite of passage for the Green Bay Packers, the only publicly owned franchise in the National Football League. But because they are a nonprofit entity, they must have an annual shareholders meeting to accommodate their over 361,000 owners. They decided to have a little twist with this year's session held on Wednesday night, July 25th, in prime time at 7 o'clock. But the weather forecast got into the way, and it led to a very unusual evening to take care of the business of the Green Bay Packers. The bylaws of the Green Bay Packers Incorporated state that they have to hold an annual meeting for their shareholders. And for all of the years they've done it, they've never had one quite like tonight. 
with some threatening weather moving across Lambeau Field before the rare primetime 7 p.m. start. Decided to call it and bring the meeting in here to the Packers Media Auditorium. And then they displayed it through closed circuit television throughout the concourses of the stadium inside the 1919 kitchen and tap room. They even opened up an upper concourse for some of the 5,900 shareholders who were here in attendance, disappointed that they had to scatter in the rain to watch the annual meeting. Much of the business is the same as it always is. Committee reports, yes, this team makes a lot of money. They give a lot of money away. Titletown District continues to grow. Titletown Tech under construction. Plans for some housing, including some uh, townhouses and an office tower, also in the works down the road. But for the football side of things, it was the first football report for new general manager Brian Gutekunst, who paid tribute to his predecessor, Ted Thompson, and then went about the same course that Ted has done over the last 12, 13 years, and that's just run down the roster without getting too specific about any one position. As far as Aaron Rodgers' contract is concerned, Mark Murphy is still confident that the negotiations are ongoing, they are amicable, and in time, without a deadline, they'll get something done. But the 100th season of the Green Bay Packers celebrated in an unusual way with the shareholders meeting going inside for the first time. A uh, little different than, uh, than we had uh, hoped or planned, but I think you have to be flexible. And uh, we, did, we did hear that there, it rained and there was lighting in the area. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the reports that we were getting was there was a cell or a storm moving through right around 7. So we would, and then when you evacuate, you have to keep them out for half an hour after the last lightning strike. So, and then there was another storm coming through like 45 minutes after that. So we would have had a very short window to get, get anything done. So we decided it made sense just to uh, move it in, so inside. And so I'm disappointed for our fans, but uh, you know, I think, you know, obviously with, the, you know, safe, their safety was paramount. At Lambeau Field, I'm Mark Daniels. The Green Bay Packers certainly know how to throw a party. And this year, they're celebrating their 100th season, a 16-month celebration that kicked off in grand fashion with the opening of the Packers Experience, part of the Packers training camp at Lambeau Field. A huge section of the parking lot surrounding the atrium at Lambeau is now home to all kinds of activities, stages, entertainment venues free of charge. Let's take you inside the Packers Experience. The Packers Experience begins on Thursday, July 26th. We open at 9 o'clock in the morning, so come on out before our practice starts at 11.30 and take a, a look at all the new things that we have up and about. We've got a lot of photo opportunities. We have a lot of activities for kids to throw footballs, to tackle some dummies. We'll have some live music playing on the main stage. We have a beer garden for the adults to sit down and just kind of relax while the kids are running around in some of the activations. We really wanted to kick off the 100 seasons in a big way and uh, we, we teamed up with the NFL and we brought the NFL experience. So this is really what you see at the Super Bowl or at the draft. Um, typically, if you go to the Super Bowl or draft, it will cost you like $35 to get into this. We brought it here to Lambeau Field. We packerized everything. It's a lot of um, skills challenge. We'll have locker room. We have um, a theater that is showing part of our documentary. We're really excited and it really has come together. It's amazing that, um, pulling in here today and just seeing how large this is. My personal favorite is Look Like a Player where we have 
17 jerseys set up and really it showcases the decades of the Green Bay Packers. We're working with lamers and they are running a shuttle from EAA here because EAA is going on at the same time and there's hundreds of thousands of people there as well. The Packers Experience is a free four-day festival here at the Lambeau Field parking lot. Come on out. We hope to see you there. Campcast, a Midwest Communications podcast.